Good morning. It's uh, great to see you here this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, it's been a great week for Washington. If you're a, a Washington resident here this morning, you can be proud. We had a, a great football game Friday night. I know that was a uh, crucial game against Metamora. Apologies if you're here this morning from Metamora. Uh, that was a big win for us. We uh, needed that. But uh, my kids all grew up going to Central grade school right here in town. And uh, Central had an amazing uh, day yesterday at their state track meet, uh, the girls competed and they won by a huge margin uh, to the second school. And four out of the top 10 finishers were all from Central. But the reason I'm sharing this story is because the young lady who came in third uh, out of over 250 runners, uh, Sophia Ramirez, is a uh, member here of Connect Church. She ran like the wind. Her mum is on the worship team. Her grandpa's on the worship team. Uh, she serves here at the church. She's brilliant, and we are uh, very proud of her. I told her parents this morning to give her our best. Uh, yeah, great week. But um, if you're here for the very first time, we've been talking about, uh, oh, there he is, Nehemiah. <laughs> so I expected that to be on the wall behind me. We've been talking about this guy by the name of Nehemiah. And if it is your first time here this morning, or if you've been gone a few weeks, you're going to feel like you've just tuned into a show to find out you're on episode six, and you're like, I haven't got a clue what's going on here. So what we're going to do for, uh, for you, and also for everyone else here who's been here for the last few weeks, we're going to just kind of recap on how we got to this point. Because um, here at Connect, we'll often teach in different ways. Sometimes we'll teach maybe a, a topical kind of message, and uh, each week is a standalone subject on a standalone topic that might help you uh, as a follower of Jesus, somebody who's exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But sometimes we'll do what we're doing now. We'll take a book of the Bible, or we'll take a person in the Bible, and we'll kind of work our way through their lives. Because there's a lot to learn about these um, men and women, these great men and women uh, in Scripture. But the great thing is, not only can we learn about them and God's involvement and engagement in their lives, what we can learn is that it shows us the character of God. It shows us how God is at work in the lives of people. And now we can look at our lives and we can see some, some, some comparison there, some similarities and say, God, I see how you were with Nehemiah and I believe you're with me too. I believe you're going to work in my life too. So, so, to recap, uh, the Jews uh, have been conquered by the Babylonians. This is about 2,500 years ago, about five or 600 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, their city has been destroyed, the walls are in rubble, and now the Jews are living in exile all around the area. The Babylonians, this conquering army, they've now been conquered by the Persians. And the Persians, they're a lot nicer than the Babylonians, so they've allowed their, their prisoners, these Jewish people, to return to their homeland, which was a good thing. Uh, some of the Jews had lived in Babylon and now Persia so long that they'd made a new life in this new place. And Nehemiah was one of those people. In fact, Nehemiah, not only did he kind of made this new life, he had a great life. He was the cupbearer to the king. Now, the cupbearer is the person who has to taste the drinks, sample the food before the king eats it. So it's kind of a scary job because basically if someone's going to try and take out the king, uh, the cupbearer is going to find out first as he drops dead and the king will be like, cool, I'm not eating that. <laughs> so, uh, so hopefully he didn't have any peanut allergies or anything like that. And um, he was, uh, he was responsible for, for sampling all the different foods, drinks, that kind of thing. But actually, even though it sounds like a kind of menial job, he was actually very close to the king. 
He was kind of like his chief of staff. It was actually a very um, significant role to have. He was a person of influence in the kingdom of Persia. So much so that when news arrived to Nehemiah from some people who had come from Jerusalem, when the news arrived that the walls were in rubble, the walls were in disrepair, that even though the people had gone back, no one had really started to rebuild them, the, the city was kind of a mess. We learned early on in this series that Nehemiah was this, this man of empathy and prayer. It broke his heart to hear the state of Jerusalem. He said, God, I want to do something about this. He cried out to God. He prayed. He said, God, I want to do something about this. And we, we talked about how uh, thousands of years later, for many of us, there have been situations in our life where we've just felt, man, God, I'm passionate about this specific thing. Something has gripped us when we've seen pain or suffering or we've seen injustice and we felt like, God, I can't just sit by and watch this. I need to be involved. I need to be involved somehow. I need to change these lives. I need to, to be a part of that. We've cried out to God. And now many of us today as followers of Jesus uh, have done just that, got involved and been involved in making a difference in the world in which we live. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. And uh, the king, uh, thanks to the grace of God, allowed Nehemiah to go back to rebuild the city walls. And he said, you can go back, you can rebuild the city walls. In fact, I'll even send you with some supplies and some letters to help you as you travel through some of those foreign kingdoms to say, hey, he's going with my blessing. So the first part of Nehemiah's life is just fantastic. I mean, everything is just going so right. And we're all like, I wanna be Nehemiah. Because it just looks great, everything that's happening. And then a couple of weeks ago, we learned that he actually hit some opposition. He hit some opposition. And it came at such a great period of momentum. He's back in Jerusalem. He's motivated all of the people, the, the different people to get involved. Everyone has come along. They're all volunteering. They're all helping to rebuild the walls. In fact, that week we talked about how great it is when, when a building process like that takes place and everyone gets involved and we, we acknowledge the fact that here at Connect, we are incredibly grateful to the dozens and dozens of people who volunteer on a regular basis here at Connect to help um, push forward the mission of Connect Church. In fact, we love these folks so much that next month we're having a volunteer banquet. And if you're a volunteer here at Connect, you're going to get to hear about that soon. We're going to put on a big meal here for you. Uh, we're going to just celebrate you and thank you for what you've done. That means you've got one month, if you're not yet a volunteer, to sign up. Because you could get right in there. Like your very first thing you get to do is come to the banquet. It'll be brilliant. There is a contract you do sign that you have to serve for another 10 years. But you will get the free meal at the banquet. So, uh, so, so if you are interested in volunteering, so many opportunities to get involved here at Connect, you can fill out one of our Connect cards. But Nehemiah, he's recruited these volunteers. They're building. They're all helping rebuild the walls, put the gates back in place. And then suddenly, he faces opposition. But we learned last week that Nehemiah was this great, faithful man of God. And even though opposition came his way, he stood up to it. He recognized it for what it was, uh, the enemy trying to thwart what God had called him to do. I was encouraged last week. I got to talk to many of you after the service last week, and, and many of you said, man, that was encouraging because I've seen that happen in my life where I've decided to kind of step out and do something for God or, or maybe my life, I was kind of living a fairly ordinary life and I thought, you know what? I, I need to get more serious about my relationship with God. I wanna get more committed. I wanna get more involved in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's almost like when I made that decision, the opposition came. 
And I think that's real because I think we have a very real enemy who wants to push back anytime he sees us as followers of Jesus pushing forward and advancing the kingdom of God, shining the light brighter. So I'd love to tell you that after last week's message, we've dealt with the opposition, now we can move on to the exciting part of the remainder of Nehemiah's life. But this morning, we're gonna discover that the opposition not, didn't just continue, it actually increased. This week, we're gonna look at the next couple of chapters in the story of Nehemiah. We're gonna discover that the opposition actually intensified. Over chapters five and six, we're gonna see that three different forms of opposition that Nehemiah faced, all of which could have stopped the walls from being completed, they kept pushing and pushing. And not only are we gonna look at these three different forms of opposition, we're gonna see that they are very similar to, to um, ways in which the enemy pushes back on us in our life today, 2,000, 2,500 years later. So let's look at the very first of these three different um, areas of opposition, uh, continuing on from last week. Last week was one, so this is really two, three, and four. Um, but this morning, the first way in which the, uh, the enemy kept pushing back against Nehemiah. This is Nehemiah chapter six, one through four. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, they found out that I'd finished rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah, this is his book. This is his memoirs. He's writing this. Uh, they found out that I'd finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So the gates still haven't been, so there's still time. The city hasn't been completed. The walls are up, but the gates still have to be restored. And just on a side note, because I know some of you have been reading Nehemiah yourself and are probably a little bit sad that this hasn't come up yet. There was a gate called the Dung Gate. Dung, D-U-N-G. And you, I'm guessing you can imagine what the Dung Gate led to. I mean, it was an area of the city you didn't really want to go to if you had to. Uh, and I could have preached a whole week on how Nehemiah was able to recruit the guy who rebuilt the Dung Gate. I mean, what do you do to get the guy and say, hey, I've got a great job for you? <laughs> Bring something to block your nose. Um, Sanballat and Geshem, they sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. <laughs> oh, no. But I realized, I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work. So I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. So the first thing I think is amazing about this is that these are four groups of people that um, surround in Jerusalem who are um, probably normally not allies, but are allied in this one effort of wanting to stop Nehemiah to stop the city of Jerusalem being rebuilt. They can see that once the walls are rebuilt, that there could be trouble for them. They won't have the influence over this area like they used to. They won't be able to um, take resources and taxes and um, this kind of thing from Jerusalem. So they actually unite together in their attack on Jerusalem. It doesn't say what they plan on doing, but Nehemiah, he knows that they are planned to harm them, so he refuses to go, not just once, but four different times. 
I think this is amazing that, you know, because it would be easy to look at this enemy surrounding them and think, well, I should at least go and talk to them. Maybe I can talk them out of it. Maybe we can meet, meet, reach some kind of compromise. Maybe we can negotiate here. Maybe I can, like, try and shout at them and argue with them and tell them that God's in this. And, but he doesn't even waste his time. He says, no, I'm not even going to come and meet with you. Because I think Nehemiah understood the, the essence of this opposition. I'm going to call this one sideways energy. Sideways energy. Because I actually think this is kind of how this opposition plays out in our life today. You see, I talked a few weeks ago, didn't I, that said that there was a lot um, of parallels between Nehemiah rebuilding the wall and, and us here today, 2,000 years later, um, because we're builders, we're all a part of a, a big building project. We are responsible as members of not just Connect Church, but the church of Jesus Christ. We've been called to build the church. This challenge started all the way back in Jesus' time when Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus is saying, hey, a mission begins today. That is to build the church. And for hundreds of years, 2,000 years from now, in Washington, Illinois, there will be a church called Connect Church that is there because hundreds of years prior to that, the church continued to be built. And we now are responsible for continuing on that and seeing the church continue to be built for the next generation. We're on a mission to build the church. But I think sometimes we lose sight of that vision, that mission, and we get caught up in some, some of these little things. That's how the enemy wants to distract us. He wants to cause us to, to get caught up in some sideways energy, is what I call it. And then we end up engaging with the enemy, and it takes us off mission and distracts us from the true goal of building the church, reaching people for Jesus. A guy by the name of Tom Rayner, he was the former president of Lifeway Christian Resources, he posted an article that I came across this week, and um, he discovered this survey that somebody had done on Twitter, and they, uh, they asked people, hey, send in um, the craziest story that you've experienced personally of um, infighting within the church, the church fighting over something that really seemed kind of pointless, kind of menial. He said he, there were so many responses that he had to pick just 25 I'd love to read all 25 this morning, but I had to narrow it down just to five. So these are my five favorites. Uh, these are true stories. People have sent these in. People have responded. These were some of the things that um, Christians, followers of Jesus, got passionate about. They were like on mission. We've got to figure this out. The first one was an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. <laughs> the appropriate... <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this guy would qualify for too long, too short, I'm not sure. But, but there was a church somewhere that responded that were in turmoil, that were fighting with one another, that were arguing over the fact that some felt the worship pastor's bid was just a little bit too long. Here was another one. There was a fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. <laughs> Legitimate fight. <laughs> so I picked a few here. 
I do want to point out, just in case you haven't already figured it out, true story, this young man in Utah decided to prank his parents one Christmas. They were a very religious older couple, and he got them a new picture of Jesus to go on their uh, wall in their living room. He said six months later, this picture of Luke Skywalker is still hanging (laughs) on the living room wall in his parents' house. So Jesus, Jesus, not Jesus, okay? But this particular church... (laughs) This particular church, I don't know who had the photos, I don't know who had the pictures, who determined which one was the most accurate, but there was a church somewhere that invested a lot of sideways energy into figuring out which picture of Jesus should go in the lobby, the foyer. Two different churches, this is another one, two different churches, so two different responses, reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In another church, they just simply moved to a stronger blend, and members left the church as a result. People left the church because the coffee was changed. There was a, here's another one, a dispute in the church over communion because they decided to use Koran grape juice instead of just regular juice. Now, I've got to be honest, I'd have an issue with that. I don't like cranberries. I don't like cran grape juice, so I would have a problem with that one. I get it. I'll save my favorite one to the last. I hope we never get to this place here at Connect. There was an argument over whether the church should be allowed to serve deviled eggs at a church function. Because <laughs> can you really eat a deviled egg at a church function? I Personally, I think the solution is you can, as long as for dessert, there's some angel food cake. Because it kind of... <laughs> balances itself out there. So the angel Fouquet will always win over the devil eggs. <laughs> These are real tweets that came in from real churches around the country, around the world, and you just have to read them and think, where did we go wrong? How, how do we get caught up in this side of his energy? How are we engaging in the enemy over fights? And we've lost, and we've lost track of what the true mission, the true goal is. Followers of Jesus getting caught up in so much sideways energy and so, some of the crazy things they get involved in. You might think, well, that'll never happen here or that'll never happen today, but I think it still happens. Sometimes we, we look on social media. I'm not sure that Starbucks cups are really out to destroy Christmas, but I do know this. Debating with dozens of other people on Facebook is exactly the kind of thing I think Nehemiah would choose to avoid if he was around here. And here's why I think he would. Not because he was afraid that by meeting with these folks, it would bring harm, although there was a potential that could have happened, because of what he said. Listen to what Nehemiah said. And with all of those tweets in context, hear the words of Nehemiah. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I think we as followers of Jesus have been called to build the church. We're engaged in a great work of reaching people who don't yet know Jesus. We have friends, loved ones, neighbors who have yet to discover that Jesus has a wonderful plan for their lives, that he loves them dearly. And I think every time we get close to starting to become more effective at reaching those people, whether it's as an individual or as a church, the enemy gets worried. He starts to realize that we could actually start to make a difference. So he, he pulls us aside into some sideways energy. And we find ourselves fighting a battle that really is so insignificant, but we're distracted. This wasn't the only form of opposition that Nehemiah faced. When this didn't work, his enemies, they tried a second approach. They said in, chapter, in verses 5 through 9, 
The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. This is significant that the letter was open. This is what it said. There is a rumor around the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that's why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you've appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, the king of Persia. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, Nehemiah, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. And then Nehemiah explains what was happening here. He gets it. He understands it. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Basically, by sending this open letter, their plan was to scare Nehemiah, to intimidate Nehemiah. Because you see, in this day and age, a letter would be sent, and the only person who got to, to read what was um, in the letter was the person who wrote it himself, and then it was sealed, it was carried by messenger, and then it was opened again, and then the, the recipient of the letter would get to read it. But by sending it as an open letter, everyone along the way, it just became this big kind of gossip thing where it's like, did you hear what the letter says? Did you hear what the letter says? So all through the land. So what they're trying to do is to scare and intimidate Nehemiah because they're saying, hey, by now the king of Persia will have heard the contents of this letter. But intimidation is a tool that the enemy still uses for us today. I think intimidation is still a way that the enemy tries to stop us from moving forward in our goal. I think for Nehemiah, the reason he wasn't intimidated, I think maybe it's because he knew that the king knew Nehemiah. Maybe he just understood that the king of Persia, they were so close that Nehemiah knew he would never believe this. He knows me, we're so tight. He, he would never fall for such a crazy rumor. Or maybe... We don't know. Maybe Nehemiah just was so confident in the calling which God had placed upon his life that he's like, even if he does believe me, God will take care of it because I'm here on a mission from God. I believe this is where I'm meant to be. I'm so confident in my calling that nothing can intimidate me. And that's two and a half thousand years later what inspires me about the life of Nehemiah. He was so confident in his calling that even this letter that should have brought fear just didn't intimidate him. Because the truth is, we can face intimidation, can't we? And sometimes it comes from the most unlikely of sources. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret here this morning. So over the years since I've been in ministry, working with churches, working here at Connect, Whenever I've tried to do what I believe God is challenging me to do, whenever I felt like, man, I think this is the next step for Dave Jane or this is the next step for us as a church and, and I've stepped into it and very often it's something that's kind of a, a little scary because I feel like God's challenging me or challenging us as a church to go to the next level or do something new and, and as soon as I kind of start thinking about it and making this decision, there's always someone who tries to intimidate me. Now the sad part is over the years I've actually discovered that it's the same person every time. 
Without fail, it seems he's always there questioning me, casting doubt, just basically intimidating me. He's really driving me nuts. And I know that probably I shouldn't name this person and shame this person, but he's always there, always telling me, oh, you can't do that, that'll never work. And and I've just had enough, so I'm gonna reveal who this person is that keeps trying to intimidate me. It's this guy right here. I tell you, I've had enough of him. (laughs) He's just always saying, oh, that'll never work, that'll never happen. And I'll come up with this great plan, I'll think, this is what I think God can do. And and almost instantly, this guy starts talking to me, saying, yeah, but what about this? And what if that doesn't work? And I've had enough. I wanna get rid of him. Look at him with that smile, and (laughs) it's just driving me crazy. Maybe you face the same problem here this morning as well. Not that this guy drives you crazy, I hope. Maybe he does, I don't know, but I hope that's not the case. But, but maybe you've got someone similar in your life who looks a lot like you. And every time you, you step forward or you wanna do something new with God, that intimidation, it doesn't come from outside, it comes from within. You come up with some really good reasons as to why what you're thinking of doing would never work or all the reasons that could go wrong, all the things that, and God has given us this great vision and already we're talking ourselves out of it. And that's where I get inspired by Nehemiah. Listen to this verse again, verse nine. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continue to the work with even greater determination. God, let that be my response when, when Dave Jane says to me, oh, that'll never work. Or that. Let that be something to inspire me to say, no, not only am I not gonna listen to that voice, I'm gonna continue on with even greater determination. So we've seen that Nehemiah faced some opposition from without the enemy. Maybe from within, the, the potential to be intimidated like some of us, you know, from our own inner voice speaking down to us. But I think the area that shocked probably Nehemiah the most, it shocked me the most, was where the final area of intimidation, not intimidation, opposition came from. I'm actually gonna jump backwards now. We started in chapter six. We're gonna jump back to chapter five now. I've saved this one till last. Nehemiah chapter five, verses one through four. About this time, Some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families. We need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we've had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, the people of Jerusalem. And our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters and we're helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. Basically, what we discover here in Nehemiah chapter five is that the richer members of the Jewish people are exploiting the poorer ones. They're taxing them unfairly. Some of them are in a place where they've had to sell members of their own family into slavery as a result. And all of this went against the law of Moses that they all should have known. I think they probably did know. They just chose to ignore it. Exploiting one another. I wonder if Nehemiah found himself asking, what good it would it be to build external walls around internal corruption? Imagine that. 
Nehemiah is literally on a mission to build the walls of Jerusalem. And in his heart, as he goes through this situation, thinking, what am I doing? I'm building walls that are basically just going to surround a group of people who have their own issues. There's this internal corruption. And check this out. So we've looked at some different forms of opposition that Nehemiah faced. Listen to how he responds to this one. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. Nehemiah says, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry. We've never seen Nehemiah get angry about any of the other attacks. And I think it's because he expected to see that from the enemy. He expected the enemy of God. He expected these people on the outside, that kind of behavior by pursuing God, by pursuing this mission to rebuild the walls, he expected there to be some resistance. But when he saw it come from within, when he saw his own people infighting, when he saw this going on where people were exploiting others, his anger rose because he saw this, this third level of opposition and it was greed. It was greed, it was selfishness. And the truth is, I think thousands of years later for us as followers of Jesus, This can show up in every area of our lives. And maybe it has an impact on other people in the church. Maybe it has an impact on our family or the community at large. But if we're not careful, we can fall into the same trap as the people of Jerusalem did. We too are aware of a a law. Jesus taught about what it means to to live our lives as if all we have is God's, to, to live a life of generosity. But there's this battle goes on, isn't there? Because we have to work against our own selfish inner desires, our our desires to to want to have more and more, to hold on instead of give. So Nehemiah tackles this problem head on. He challenges the people right there to make things right, to be generous, to give back, and to look after one another. Verse 12 talks about that. It says, they replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. This is a huge moment when Nehemiah confronts them and they recognize they've done wrong and they commit to changing their wicked ways. So then I called the priests and I made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and I said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. I think what I love about this situation and what I think I've loved about all of the life of Nehemiah up to this point is what I'm seeing is that God is using Nehemiah to build his walls. And that is true. But more importantly, I think God's using this to build his people. That through the building of the walls, the people are also building their lives. Their lives are changing. I think that's what God wants to do in our lives. As we build the church, as we see God use us to reach others, he's also at work in our lives. And maybe one of those areas is in our, um, our greed, our selfishness, the way we, we look at our lives. Now, I'll be honest, I think one of the strengths of our church is a spirit of generosity. Anytime we've ever had an opportunity to give or to do right or to share or to do something for those maybe who are in need, you always step up. So I love that I see that and I hope that continues to go on. Last year, 
At the end of the year, we did a big um, thing called Give 2020, where we raised money. We had everybody give just $20.20 each, and we pulled it all together. And I think some people may have given just a little bit more, because we raised about sixteen dollars or $17,000, which was fantastic. And with all those funds, we were able to support four organizations that are making a difference in the world. In a few weeks' time, you're going to hear about this year's initiative. We've really got creative here. We've changed it all up. It's something brand new. This year, it's called, big reveal, Give 2021. <laughs> so it's totally different than last year. <laughs> this year, we're going to ask people to give $20.21 each. So we've, you know, we're really, inflation here is going up. But um, our goal is to give people, as we approach the holiday season, and there's a temptation to, to get caught up in consumerism, and I want so much. And uh, this will actually start right around the time of the uh, Thanksgiving Black Friday sales when everyone wants to just spend, 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 just to help us. Man, I want to also be somebody who gives, somebody who's known for their generosity. So I hope now you'll start to plan on how you can be generous again this year, because I don't want to have to shake the folds of my plaid shirts up here on this stage like Nehemiah shook his robes. So in conclusion, after facing all of this opposition, we've looked in Nehemiah chapter 5, Nehemiah chapter 6. Listen to how chapter 6 comes to an end. In verse 15, on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. You see, I think they looked on and thought, there is no way that in 52 days such a great feat could be accomplished. So even the enemies of the Israelites understood that this work had been done with the help of our God. And you know, that same God is here this morning. That same God is alive and real in your life this morning. That's why we can sing that new song that we sang this morning with confidence that you're the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen are too good to not believe. Because that same God that helped the Israelites against all kinds of opposition rebuild the walls in just 52 days, that same God is here for us this morning. If you've not yet experience that God in your life, I encourage you this morning, step out in faith. Make that decision. Say, God, I want you to be a part of my life. Because even when opposition comes, I still see the evidence of how you walked alongside Nehemiah. You helped him stay focused on the task. And because he chose not to get caught up in any sideways energy, because he chose not to be intimidated, because he addressed issues within his own people of greed and selfishness when they arose, because he kept focused on you in just 52 days, the walls were rebuilt. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life where people look on and the only thing they can say is this work had to have been done with the help of our God. Let's pray. Father, we're not done yet. There's more to the life of Nehemiah that we're gonna look at here next week. But God, this is a great moment in the life of Nehemiah. Because this morning we look at some more opposition in his life that we can completely relate to in our own lives. 
Even though this happens 2,000 years ago, we face that same kind of opposition in our lives, and we know it. Intimidation, getting caught up in things that are off mission, Lord. Greed, selfishness, all these kind of things, Lord. They can distract us from this great goal you've given us, Lord, of building the church. But like Nehemiah, we can be confident this morning that if we stick to the task, that people will look on and say, man, that is incredible. There's no way that church could have moved into that building so early on. It had to have been the work of God. There's no way that person's life could have changed in such a drastic way. It had to have been the work of God. Time and time again, Lord, we hear story after story of you at work in people's lives, changing people's lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you truly are this morning, the God that we sang about, that wonder work in God. Too good to not believe in. Help us experience more of you in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name.